This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Facebook undoubtedly has some of the top designers in the world working under one roof. But what does it take to be a designer there? I talked with Marcy Quintana, Design Program Manager, to find out. I think it really takes a, a big amount of like maturity. And I think at Facebook, you really have to be open, open to feedback, open to understanding the other perspective and not only your own. I think that's a really big part of it. Just being able to kind of have the, that growth mindset, really just become a better designer as a result. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Buffer is looking for an engineering manager. Dockyard is looking for a senior UX and visual designer. Vox Media is looking for a new VP of design. Friendly Design Company is looking for a mid-level interactive designer. And here at Revision Path, we're looking for a design writer to join our team. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts so when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. MailChimp gives you the marketing tools you need to be yourself on a bigger stage. So whether that's big business or freelance work, you can join more than 15 million people who use MailChimp to grow their businesses on their own terms. And with integrated Facebook and Instagram advertising, you can find new customers and reconnect with others. Sign up for a free account today at MailChimp.com. MailChimp. Send better email. When you have a great idea for a project, you need to give it a great domain name. And guess what? Finding the perfect domain name is ridiculously easy with Hover. You know, domain names aren't just for websites. You can also use them to create a more professional, on-brand email address. I mean, if you've already got the domain that you want, why not just go the extra step with your email address, you know? And if you need a hand, Hover's awesome support team is there to help you. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path to get 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's hover.com forward slash revision path. Hover, domain names for your ideas. SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional, business, or enterprise projects. So whether you're building something custom or you're using a CMS like WordPress, SiteGround lets you build better, faster, safer websites more easily, and they offer multiple hosting options that your websites can grow into. Visit SiteGround.com forward slash revision path to get 60% off on all hosting plans. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with character animator Michael Hollander. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, I'm Michael Hollander, and I'm a character animator. I work in film and video games, currently working at Telltale Games. Now, for those that are listening, and I'm sure who are into video games, Telltale Games has been behind a lot of really kind of big titles lately. I remember the Batman Telltale game that came out. I remember The Walking Dead, the kind of episodic series of that. How did you get started with Telltale? Well, I was working in L.A., working for a company called Rhythm and Hughes. I just finished up on the movie Life of Pi. I didn't do too much on that. I didn't get film credit for it because it was such a short time. But previously, I'd worked on Percy Jackson 2, Alvin and the Chipmunks at that company. And I've worked at other companies around the L.A. area. But it was all contract-based, and I was looking for something more permanent. And then you might have heard the story of Rhythm and Hughes going out of business. They went bankrupt, and they 
won an Academy Award for Life of Pi, ironically, right as they were going out of business. <laughs> and they weren't able to finish their story when they accepted the Academy Award on stage. So I was right in the middle of that, that massive layoff. So I found a job. I wanted to get into gaming, and I found a job here in San Francisco, and it was Telltale Games. What's a typical day like for you there as a, as a character animator? What do you do? I animate. <laughs> I, it's, it's pretty straightforward. They'll give me kind of a an idea of what they're looking for in a shot. And so they'll give me a sequence of shots each day. And then uh, I'm laying out roughly the the animation, the, the rough poses. We call it layout. And then when that gets approved, then I go on into polishing it or it gets handed off to someone else to finish. But yeah, basically... I tend to get a lot of the action shots because of my martial arts background. So, okay. yeah, it's pretty much day-to-day doing a lot of cool action-y stuff in, in the uh, Telltale games. And now with, you know, kind of doing, you say, action shots, kind of, I guess, tell me a little bit about that. You're not, like, actually, like, doing high kicks and stuff and they're modeling it. or, or <laughs> I'm curious how that works with your martial arts training. Yeah, sometimes I'll, I'll look up video reference because... It's been a long time since I've done those those moves. So a lot of the action or the action may not be something I've ever done before. So I'll look up some video reference on the Internet and then try to stitch together ideas, mostly drawing on my experience just from memory. But so I use the reference just for to get the sense of timing and weight. And then, yeah, just get the layout approved first and then go on there to to polishing it and getting the animation looking really smooth. Can you talk about any other projects or any other you know games that you're working with now? Uh, currently, I'm working on Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh. Uh, yeah, so we've done, I think we've completed two episodes now that I think are available. I don't know how many episodes we're going to complete for this full season, but the full season will come out before the end of the year, I believe. So with a lot of the work that you're doing now around kind of film and, and animation, I think it's important to note that your start kind of was in film and television, right? Yeah. Actual film. You're talking about animation or my other film career? <laughs> your other film career. We'll talk about that. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. My start, well, we can go back a little even further. So my initial start was trying to get into modeling. My mother dragged me to a photo shoot back when I was about 21, 22. And at the time, I had a karate school in Massachusetts, and I was doing fine. I was happy with teaching martial arts. I wasn't making a ton of money, but I was happy with it. So she dragged me to a photo shoot and convinced me I should be a model. And so I saw the photos, and I found out how much money you can make just standing in front of a camera. And I thought, hmm, yeah, I could do this. (laughs) I did a couple of competitions, one in New York and then one in L.A. They were like talent competitions where you compete in modeling, acting, any type of special skill that you have. I did some dancing and martial arts. You can compete in runway and some model prints that you submit, like fashion and commercial. So anyway, I I didn't do well in New York, but I did really well in L.A. And I got a lot of awards and agents that were interested in in signing me for for representation so i a month later after i did that competition i moved to la and started going out on auditions for commercials and modeling print ads and everything so i was i really didn't have my sights on acting but everybody kept saying i was too commercial looking and i didn't know what that meant <laughs> but, so eventually i started getting into more acting and commercial stuff. Not that I was pursuing it. I I really concentrated on, on taking acting classes and improving my acting, but it all just kind of came together. Um, the big moment that happened for me was after I did a uh, head and shoulders commercial where I was just sitting there drinking a cup of coffee in the commercial and Tony Braxton saw me in the commercial and wanted to hire me for her next music video. Oh, that's right. You were in the, you mean the world to me video. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and while I was there, this was shot in Miami. My agent called me and said, this all happened a very short period of time, but I was on the set filming that. And they called me and said, yeah, there's this uh, show that did the Power Rangers that wants to 
audition you for this new TV show called Cybertron, which later became VR Troopers. And yeah, that the rest of his history. And then I was on that show and we filmed 92 episodes. Wow. That's where I first heard about you was from, from VR Troopers. You were the, you were the smart black computer guy. Yeah. My mom was like, yeah, that's like you. You're like him. Like I was, I don't know. I forgot how old I was. It was 94. I was probably, I don't know, a teenager or something like that. But, and that show was so interesting. Of course it was sort of like the sister show to power Rangers. Can you talk a little bit about what your time was like on the show? Yeah, it was really fun. It was some of the best times I ever had working on that show. It was long hours, but we had a lot of fun. Because it was a kid's show, nobody took the acting too seriously. We were just having a fun and goofing off. The only part that was hard was I came in with a lot of experience in martial arts. And so we did all our own fight scenes, all our own stunts. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of struggle to get our choreography into the fight scenes and so they had a on-site fight choreographer, and so there was a lot of butting of heads of ideas and stuff. But other than that, it was 12-hour days, six days a week, and it was all fun. We did it for two years, and it was great. I enjoyed it. What's kind of the best memory that you have from that time? <laughs> I would say the time that I was at Universal Studios, they did a live show. It was actually five live shows that we had to do. At Universal Studios, we did it all in one day, and they had pyrotechnics, and we did this martial arts routine, and it was fun and exciting because I I get kind of nervous doing li- anything live, like live theater or anything like that, like with large audiences. So that was particularly exciting and full of anxiety. Uh, but the memorable part was that the lead guy on the show me and him were supposed to do a a routine together. And in the first show he did this flip and he tore his ACL. And so I had to, yeah. So they had to rush him to the hospital and I had to do the rest of the shows doing that routine by myself. And so that was pretty nerve wracking. So before you, you know, got into acting, got into modeling and everything, did you ever have any kind of interest in animation or did this sort of become kind of a gradual process as you kind of just went through life? I had no idea that animation was as accessible and easy to learn as it was. I'm not saying animation is easy, but I thought initially that it was all programming or just more technical than I thought it would be. And I thought it was, it wasn't something that you could learn. I didn't even know what it was or how you did it. I didn't even know where you could go to learn it. I thought it was drawing on a computer or something. I had no idea. And even further, I didn't even think at the time when I was a teenager, because I didn't do so well in high school. I didn't do well in my SATs. I had no ambition of going to college. I thought that was so far out of reach for me that either I wouldn't get accepted or I wouldn't have the money for it. So I wasn't even considering any kind of technical career whatsoever that required a college degree or training. So I kind of just fell into it. Interesting. So let's talk about that. I mean, going from acting to animation, that kind of seems in a way, I don't want to say like a left brain, right brain thing, but somewhere in the middle there, you were doing engineering and architecture for a while. Can you tell me kind of what that post VR trooper career was like when you went into this? Yeah, so specifically one moment that kind of changed the the direction of my life. It was after VR Troopers, I kept going on auditions, trying to get more work. I wasn't getting any interviews for our auditions. I wasn't booking anything. I wasn't getting any interest. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. It dipped really quickly. Like There was a lot of interest when I first got to Hollywood, and then suddenly it just went away, and I didn't know what it was. So one day at an audition, I just straight up asked a um, casting director after the audition. I said, hey, listen, you know, I can't figure out why I'm not booking anything. Is my acting that bad? Can you can you be honest with me and tell me what's going on? And she said, no, your acting is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the problem is when you walked in the door, you didn't look black. And this role uh, calls for a black guy. And you don't I didn't know what nationality you were when you walked in the room. So I did digging into more research and then really thinking about a lot of suggestions and advice people were giving me, uh-huh. I realized that 
the look for blacks from the eighties was if you think about like Prince, Michael Jackson, Al DeBarge, and a lot of the pop culture icons from that that were light skinned black in the eighties. Yeah. I kind of fit that stereotype, but in the nineties it started going with more darker skinned blacks and so I wasn't getting anymore. So I was forced to find a career that didn't rely on what I looked like. So I started getting into I took act and I got into computers very quickly and easy. I just took four classes in AutoCAD. That's the uh, software they use for architecture and engineering. Uh-huh. And literally, not four semesters, four Saturdays. <laughs> Spent eight hours each Saturday for four Saturdays, learned this program, and immediately I got a job as a drafter for an electrical engineering company. Wow. So, so I wasn't an uh, engineer. I, I worked for an engineering company just doing drafting for them. But I did learn a lot about engineering and I did five years of architecture and learned a lot about space planning and design. Man, Hollywood is brutal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I told you that like, well, wow. Yeah. I was really thankful that she was honest with me and it helped me decide to go in a different direction and not try to force that. Because the more I looked at the type of people that were being casted, I just realized, yeah, obviously they weren't going to go with me if that's what they were looking for. Oh, wow. And then you took these AutoCAD classes. It almost sounds like a, a boot camp of some sort. When, I, when you think about what, what people are doing now to try to get into, say, the UX industry or something, they're taking these kind of intensive courses over a short period of time. And But for you, you kind of was, was able to get a job right away going right into doing this sort of work. Yeah, that I, that I think was lucky. But to be clear, drafting isn't, you know, it's not a... Um, a thing you need to go to college for you and right. especially at the time you just needed to understand the software because you're basically laying out and drawing out the idea of the architect or engineer and that was back before a lot of architects and engineers knew the software and the computer so it was all done you know by hand and then drafters would traditionally draft it out real nice and professionally and 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 exact dimensions and measurements so uh, so now it's all done on AutoCAD or com- other software on the computer. And so I, I generally just take the engineer's idea and then lay it out or, or correct things that need to be fixed on the on the plan. So it didn't require a lot of education for that. So it was really easy to get into that. But it was it was interesting that I got into it because it was at the electrical engineering company that I discovered computer animation, which I still didn't think was a, a career possibility for me. And I was still considering what I wanted to go to college for at the time too. So I was thinking about graphic design. I was thinking about architecture. I hadn't done that yet. Um, I'd done some real estate in LA also didn't go well. was, I think I probably looked too young for that industry or something. I don't know. But again, that's something that relied on looks. And I, I wanted to go to college for something where I wasn't going to be judged on how I look. And I tried to decide on some kind of computer career. But at that engineering company, some guy showed me a 3D model that he did at home. And I immediately thought, that's what I want to do. I want to do that for a living. Like, where is there a school? And, and <laughs> right at that second, we both started researching schools. And this was in Boston at the time. Started researching animation schools in Boston. And there was only one. And so we both started going there together. Uh, it was like a year and a half program. But that was the, the start of my animation career. You know, you, you just tapped into a few things, which I think are interesting to note. Earlier, before when you said, before you were kind of, you had the the karate studio in Massachusetts, and you were thinking that college was not an option to you. And now that after that, you went into acting, you've gotten kind of some rough experience or some good experience in the real world, seeing what it's really like out there. And now you're exposed to this kind of entirely new field. And now in your mind, you're thinking, oh, this is what I want to go to college for. And I, I think that's something that when people talk about kind of the diversity and the design industry and the pipeline and all that kind of stuff, a lot of it boils down to exposure. Like if you're exposed to this at a certain point, then you know that this is a possibility for you because before that, you don't really know this is something that that you can do. Yeah, exactly. 
animation in particular is an exploding career field right now. A lot of people are getting into it, realizing how accessible it is. And college at the time, you know, I came from a family that nobody ever went to college. My mom never even finished high school. So, you know, the the idea or possibility or the affordability of college was, was, I I didn't even think about it. Mm -hmm. I don't even know why I thought I could go to this two-year college in Boston, Um, but we checked it out. I was so curious. I went in there mostly worried about how much it was going to cost me rather than whether I could get in or not. So based on the research, it seemed like it was just a training program just to learn animation. So it didn't seem like a traditional liberal arts college. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was worried about my grades. Were they going to pull up my high school grades and then decide "Ah, I can't get in? But then I found out it was easy to get in because it was one of those predatory recruiting colleges, I think, later on. Oh, like one of the for-profit kind of thing? Yeah, it was a for-profit college, and they were just recruiting people like crazy, people who should not be in college. Like They needed to go back, and they needed to do more work, and, and I don't think they cared about that. They just wanted recruitment and the numbers, and so they made it so easy for me to get a loan spent years paying that off and then they made it easy for you to just to to get enrolled and i I started immediately and it was uh, it was a terrible program but i did learn at least more about the industry what i needed to do and how important a good education is it's not important just to get into college it's important to get into a good one yeah that's what i learned so i later after that went to a four-year college that was more had a better reputation. Yeah, you went to uh, to Ringling, is that right? Yeah, Ringling College of Art and Design in Florida. So, yeah, that was one of the more reputable schools in the country at the time. I don't know where the or which one of the top schools are right now, but that that was definitely had a high reputation. It was a long, long road to just finding that school and getting in there and finding out that that's the right school to go to. I did a lot of research, like a couple of years worth of research. So, um, yeah, (laughs) that was a lot of work. I can get into that story too, but that's a separate story. Well, what what was your time like at Ringling? Do you feel like it it really kind of prepared you after this, this kind of formerly bad experience you had before? Yeah, it did. It, it prepared me in at least getting into the ground floor of animation. And at the time I, I got into it just at the right time where, so here's what happened. In 2005, I started classes at Ringling College. That same year, Pixar started this program online called uh, Animation Mentor. Mm-hmm. If you've heard of that, it's an online animation school where it's just a year and a half. You, you only study animation. You don't learn and you don't have to, there's no degree. And you probably get more training from that online school than you would at a four-year college for animation. Because at a four-year school, you got to learn all the other stuff. And even when you get into the animation program, you got to learn all the different disciplines of animation. And so just as I graduated, a lot of people from those online schools started flooding the market. And so I just happened to get in. So it was just great timing that I got in when I did. And, and I was lucky to get a job because not everybody got a job right after they graduated. It suddenly got a tough, it got flooded with a lot of animators and it just became a tough market for everybody. Now, speaking about you kind of getting in at that, you know, kind of at that right time, I think it's important to note, and I, and I do not mean this in a negative way at all, but when you were in this program, you were, how old were you when you were in the program? <laughs> I was in my thirties. Okay. Was it difficult doing this at that age when your, your peers were much younger? Yeah, it was definitely an age thing. You can look at it two ways. One, because I'd taken such a long break from school, I wasn't burnt out from school. So I was much more eager to learn. I think having a little bit of time off after you've just gone through so many years of school and then getting right into a college right after high school, Mm -hmm. I think can cause a lot of burnout for some students. Some people are really eager to just jump right into animation, which is so different from anything else they learn in school. And a lot of these animators that were in that were at this college, this particular college were all coming from art high schools. So they were the best artists from their high schools. And now 
getting into a field that they were dreaming about since whenever. And, um, but so it wasn't so much the age thing that was a hard thing. So I was pretty motivated. A lot of the sitting, the long hours of practicing in the computer labs and the classes, the hard part was having to work while I was going to college. I had, I was working in architecture while I was going to college and that was what was brutal. And this program was one of the toughest programs in the country for animation. And there was no time to have a job. Most of the students didn't have jobs. They were just doing animation. And a lot of them were pulling all-nighters, not sleeping, and they weren't working. So it was extra brutal for me. <laughs> so, How did you balance that? My health got ruined. I gained a lot of weight. I uh, had a lot of health problems. And uh, it was tough. It was lost a lot of sleep. It was really tough. I'm not going to lie. It was very hard. So I had to work extra hard and fast. I didn't do any socializing. I just really focused on my work and just tried to keep up with everyone else. So, yeah. And the reason I asked this, and, and I, I, again, I'm not, I really is not my intent to come at this in a, in a negative sort of way, but, oh. you know, this industry tends to skew young in terms of the people that are, are coming into it, to the audiences that it caters to, et cetera. And to, to come into it and to work when not only your peers are so much younger, but you're also at a stage, like you said, you had to work while you were doing this. So it wasn't like you could devote all of your time to just working on this. We had a guest uh, last year, an industrial engineer, his name was uh, Ben Lindo, and he talked about how when he was getting his master's degree, he was also a UPS driver. And so he would have to do his UPS shifts during the day and then at night he's you know taking classes but he was saying that his professors were not sympathetic to that at all they were just like oh well if you're serious about this you would do this full time why are you trying to do both of these things etc cetera, etc cetera. while you were working and in class were the the faculty and the staff there were they kind of were they okay with you doing that did they kind of encourage you to keep going while you were doing this they didn't know that oh, it, I didn't know. Okay. it wouldn't come up. I mean, they didn't get into your personal life at all. I mean, they, they only expected the work to get done and to be done well. So you, you get through the internship. Tell me kind of what, what happened next. Where did your career go from there? Oh, so you brought up the internship. So after I graduated, uh, I didn't, we Ringling at the time had a lot of clout in the industry. And so a lot of people, a lot of companies would come to the campus and actually interview people. And so I got quite a few interviews, but nobody was interested in hiring me after college. So I, I got really nervous because I had now accumulated all this debt from two different colleges. Mm-hmm. And I was really sweating there for about a good month. And then suddenly I got a call from Pixar and they wanted to do, they wanted to bring me into their internship. I was the only person from that year that got the internship for Pixar. I would say that's where I really got the training I needed to get into the industry. And right after that, I got a job in Dallas and then I got a job at Rhythm and Hughes in LA after that and worked at Sony and then now at Telltale Games. I worked at another small studio too as well. But um, yeah, the, the Pixar training at, was, was probably the, the best thing that helped me. Let's talk about kind of the state of the animation industry. You know, you, you went to Ringling, you interned at Pixar, you're currently at Telltale. From your vantage point, because I mean, I think you, you have a unique vantage point from someone that is not only, you know, kind of been in the entertainment industry, but now you're kind of on the other side of it as well. How do you kind of see the animation industry today? What are your thoughts on that? I think it's exciting. I'm just as excited now about animation as I was when I first saw that CG model uh, at that engineering company. I think it's, especially with the reemergence of virtual reality, the augmented reality that's coming out, the different platforms for gaming, all the CG effects, and for your listeners, CG, computer generated, all the technology that's going into making movies and video games is just it's just growing. It's exploding. And I, I, I'm so excited that I'm in this industry that I can contribute to that. So I started out trying to be an entertainer as an actor in Hollywood, and now I'm doing it digitally. So it's great. When you look back on those years to, you know, kind of just looking back in hindsight, 
Do you feel like at any point you had an advantage coming into the industry when you did? Uh, because of my experience? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I did. Another side note I should say about getting into animation schools is there was such a, an importance on being able to draw to be an animator, even though there was no drawing involved. And as I said, a lot, most of the students, they even did this thing on the uh, welcoming ceremony of, of all the students at the college. It was like 100 students, and the president of the school asked everybody in the auditorium, raise your hand if you came from an art high school. And everybody raised their hand, every single person. I was the only non-artist at that school. Wow. And so the, the side story of me getting into college was after that two-year school, I applied to four different top colleges around the country, and I got denied by all of them because I couldn't draw, including Ringling. They, so I, I got denied by Ringling at first. So what I did is I took a year of drawing classes just to get into Ringling. And now that I'm in the industry, and I, I said it all along in college, is that you don't need to draw to do animation. I knew that my background in acting and martial arts and gymnastics and dance and sports, I, I've done so much physical activities. I knew that was going to be the skill set that I could bring to animation. And sure enough, it, it, it did. It helped a lot. So I, I found that a lot of people who could draw really well weren't necessarily good animators. Some of them were but not necessarily all of them. That's interesting, that importance on, on drawing, especially when so much of the work, you know, is done on computers. Yeah, there's no drawing in computer animation. It, but <laughs> but the, high, the colleges want you to be able to draw really well to do animation, even though there's no drawing. It, do, it doesn't make sense. I was just wondering, like, what is the link there? Is it just kind of knowing about the principles of like perspective and shading and all that kind of stuff. I can only talk about Ringling. I don't know why, if other colleges do that. There's this college out there in Atlanta, Savannah College of Art and Design that. Oh yeah. They kind of look at your portfolio, but I, I don't think there is as picky about having those drawing skills. But if they do teach art, and most of these colleges do teach art and drawing, if and when they do accept you, but. I think the link is that they're teaching you more than one discipline besides animation. So let's say you don't have the skill set to be an animator. And there's no formula for figuring out what makes someone a good animator. There really isn't. There's no, you, you could come from a sports background or an art background or acting background. And there's no way to tell if you're going to be good at animation just because you have that background. There's Nobody knows. So they're trying to link it to drawing somehow. And you do have to understand human form and good posing when you do animation, but you don't have to draw it. So maybe they're thinking that you can get into other disciplines of animation, which include character and concept design, lighting, modeling, uh, rigging, texturing. There's, there's different areas of animation that you can get into that's not just animation. And so a lot of people who had strong art backgrounds actually got into different areas where they were really good at lighting a scene or doing modeling or texturing. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's good to know for people that are interested in, in getting into animation, there's more than one way to get into the industry. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, with drawing or with even what you're doing with character animating. Like you said, there's these different disciplines you could, you could get into. Yeah. So if you're good at like sculpting for for example, that's probably a field that you could get into animation where you do character modeling or environment modeling. So if you understand proportions and that you understand the form really well, then modeling may be the thing you want to get into. Animation is more understanding body mechanics. It's a lot of people say it's closer to traditional animation where you're drawing, you know, like the Disney style on like a flip book. You're just drawing each frame page by page. I think it's closer to stop motion. Where like claymation, where you you pose the character, take a snapshot with the camera, pose the character again, and keep doing it over and over until you get the character moving. I think animation, at least computer three D animation, is more like that. That's good to know. That that is really good to know because that's really what I kind of you know when I think about or when I thought about animation when I was a kid, it was like yeah, flip books and and cartoons, and it seemed like it was more of a 
a fluid process than kind of what you're describing now, where it's like these different states of being that are kind of melted together in a way. And another thing people should know is it's not to confuse the different types of animation, like 3D or if I say computer animation, there's a lot of animation jobs that also include, say, something like flash animation, where you're animating in 2D, so it's not a 3D character, it's just 2D, and so it's a hybrid of drawing and also like a rigged character where you're moving elements around on a screen to get it to move, like stop motion. And then there's also another field where like motion graphics, which is also a, a, another big career that people should consider too. That I think that's that's a really solid career and a lot of money in that too. So yeah, we've had quite a few motion graphics and and uh, kind of effects artists on the show. So I certainly know that that's something that a lot of people are interested in right now because that even in a way kind of factors over not just into you know, kind of what you see with uh, traditional animation, but you can do title sequences for movies or you could do title sequences for videos or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about that a bit more about diversity in film. I know you have a, a unique perspective on that. You know, you said that after you did the show, it was tough for you to get roles. And now, you know, kind of 20 years later, the talk about diversity in film and television, really kind of in the creative arts in general, is still really prevalent. A lot of that is, I think, because of social media, how Twitter and Facebook and things are really kind of getting everyone's opinions out there. What are your our thoughts on that, on kind of diversity in film as well as, as stereotyping? Well, yeah, I, I, well, to start with, you have to remember the, the first game I worked on at Telltale Games was The Walking Dead, and the main character was black, so... <laughs> so, so I definitely see a, a lack of diversity, but I think it's being addressed. I think it's being, since there is more talk about it, I think it started with, um, well, it kind of ebbs and flows between what issues are coming up like socially. And, and one of the issues that I saw in Hollywood was trying to get more women in film and trying to get their representation, uh, mm-hmm. trying to get them lead roles. And now we're seeing, like, we just had our first I think best lead female action hero come out wonder woman. And it was fantastic. And she did a great job and the filmmakers did a great job. And I think it's the filmmakers, the game makers, they have to figure out how to sell their film to their investors. It's almost like trying to get corporations and companies to do the right thing. But why would they do the right thing if they have to answer to their investors? So I don't think there's a, they have any socially moral issues about trying to get diversity or trying to, let's see who we can reach out to. I don't think they're even thinking about these things, except when it comes to how do we make money off of it? And so if there's more of a demand for these type of characters and there's more talk about this, and, and if they show that in the black community, we're into comics and these types of characters, we want to see more representation same for other groups like women. They want to see this kind of stuff in, in films and video games. Then these companies are going to make it. Uh, so there has to be first an interest. Unfortunately, blacks only represent about 13% of the U.S. population. So they're going to draw data from market research or however they do it. And that's how they decide who gets cast in a film. Right. Video game. So, you know, kind of as always, it's about the bottom line. It's about making sure that if it makes money, that's what they're going to be. It's not about. And I mean, it's sad to know that, but it's also just the reality of of the industry is it's got to make money. Yeah. And it's any industry. I mean, it's rare that people want to do things for, you know, just because people are asking for it they're gonna they're gonna go for where the money's at they they want a return on their investment they're gonna that's what they're gonna care about and but yeah once they see that these kind of films so hopefully black panther will make a lot of money and they'll realize oh yeah there's an audience for this that's how they're gonna do it i mean and it doesn't even have to be about race or or diversity it can be about anything like when they even decided to do a live action comic book movie um they had to first figure out, is this going to make money? Like another controversial issue was, was there an audience for older adults that want to see 
a more violent version of of an animated action character and that was deadpool and so that was the first rated r superhero movie and it did well it did really well and now they you know they're coming out with part two and it's just they're realizing there's an audience for it so they have to realize there's an audience for it i don't think they're doing anything nefarious it's just them trying to figure it out and that's all it is i like that that kind of response to it i mean i know that it is about the money and it, it certainly is about making sure that you're hitting that that bottom line but also if if the fans want it and hopefully if they if they speak up for it that will at least kind of signal like in the in the case of deadpool it'll signal well maybe we should we should give it a shot so it's i see where you're coming from i definitely see where you're coming from i just want to say <laughs> just want to say that as i said i th- i think it's it's a lot of it's driven by money and i i personally don't have such a problem with diversity of course i'd like to see more uh people of color in film more representative but um i don't know if that's the argument or debate we should be having uh of course we should talk about it but my problem is how um actors are portrayed in in film minorities how they're portrayed because part of the problem is is Hollywood's excuse when they want to bring in a character and they do this thing in Hollywood called whitewashing where it should be an ethnic minority role, but they, they hire a a white actor because they're, they're a big name. They have star power. And so their excuse is we couldn't find enough minority talent to, with a big enough name to, to be cast in this role. But, but if you look at how Hollywood does their formula or how someone breaks into Hollywood, they start with filling a role with someone that is that can play a stereotype really well. So they don't necessarily hire someone new if they're good at acting. So you have, you know, these these casting calls where there's tons of diverse minorities and some are talented, some are not so talented, some are great, some have the perfect look. But they go at first with the person who can play the stereotype really well. Now what happens is they've broken into Hollywood, they're famous, but then when another role comes up where they don't need to play the stereotype, the the Hollywood or the casting directors or producers are saying, see, we don't have someone that can play this range or this role. Well, yeah, because you hired them initially to play a good stereotype rather than hiring them based on good acting ability. Mm-hmm. So now, so I think that's the problem is let's, let's ask Hollywood to just hire people for, for their talent and not for a role that is for a black person or for an Asian person or Latino. Let's just fill the roles with, you know, some minority and race shouldn't have anything to do with it. It should be based on talent and then you'll, then they won't have that excuse. Does that make sense? I, I, I don't know if I explained that well, but I, I think the problem is, and for me personally, I think stereotypes, I think hurt communities and um, I, I don't know how everybody else feels, but that it, it, it kind of bothers me to see certain characters portrayed a certain way all the time. And it, it's, yeah, I, I, I want to see more diversity in the way characters are played. Do you think that's sort of starting to happen now with more uh, people of color kind of, I guess, telling their own stories because the technology is now caught up to the point where anyone can step out there and create something, whether it's film or video or what have you? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, And that's what we need. We need people who are already in Hollywood that are people of color that can start making their own content and, and produce their own films and, and hire, uh, writers. And, uh, you know, it's, it starts from the top. It's the executives. It's, and, and I know it's hard for them because they have to deal with foreign markets. So I, I know I've heard some stories about some, some films have trouble in like Asian markets that, you know, they want to see, maybe more whites in the, uh, in the cast of a movie. So I don't know if it's, it's an excuse or if that's, if, if that's really true or not, but, um, but that, you know, so these are some of the things they have to consider. And I, I know they're kind of 
stuck with trying to make money and that's that's their end goal that's their priority but i i think um it, it has been shown that that films with a diverse cast can make money and so hollywood has to take those kind of risks but again i i, I just wish they wouldn't do it with hiring people in stereotypical roles so another issue I think that's happening in Hollywood, and I think it's happening everywhere in all industries, even in politics, something that was brought up by the author Malcolm Gladwell is this thing called moral licensing. Uh, I don't know if he coined the term, or, but he, he gives a great explanation for it. And another part of the problem is that um, Hollywood will put in minorities, or they'll put in, like, women in a film where they, they put them in inconsequential roles and then they say they have diversity. And one of the arguments is that they say, well, the, the, I think USC or UCLA did a, uh, um, a, um, a study showing that films with more diversity actually makes more money. But, uh, what Hollywood does is they'll put these inconsequential roles or secondary or supporting roles and then they say ah see we have diversity but and, and what this moral licensing does is it allows them to say uh look we're not racist we have a, a a token black person in our movie i mean they don't say it that way but you know they 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 brag that they have diversity in their films and then it allows them to whitewash other films because they want to claim that they're not racist. It's like one of the most insulting things you can say to someone is call them a racist. So, of course, they don't want to be that way. But we should be demanding that the characters that are portrayed in movies are more significant, that they're leading roles, that, they're, that, that they make a difference in the storyline, that they don't get killed off early in the movie and that they're not playing roles that, that have no effect on the storyline. So I think that's what's going to be more important. In, and audiences have to demand this. I mean, people still go out and watch these movies if it's a majority white cast. So Hollywood doesn't care as long as their movies are making money, either domestically or internationally. So we have to demand and support these movies when they do have a cast of diversity. Like, for example, they had... Um, Recently, they did the Power Ranger movie that didn't do so well, but they had a diverse cast. And the new um, Ghostbusters movie, that also was kind of a flop, where they had an all-female cast. So we got to go out and support these kind of movies. Otherwise, Hollywood can, can go and say, see, we tried and it failed. So they go back to their old formula. So I, I think that's what we need to address. So let's kind of switch gears here a little bit. I know we've talked a lot about your career for you, what has kind of been the most useful advice that has stuck with you throughout all of the years that you've been doing your work? I think the education is the most important thing. I really can't emphasize that enough. That's like I learned the hard way. I went to a two-year school where I didn't get I didn't get the proper education. I remember my first animation class at that school that the instructor admittedly openly to the class that he didn't really know animation. Like his first job doing animation, he went in the bathroom with a, a book, the principle, like how to, how to learn Maya in this, just the main software for animation. And he went into the bathroom and read the book, parts of the book in the bathroom while he was working. And so anyway, he, there was where I had to explain to him, this is in college, in class, in front of everyone. I had to explain to him some of the, things in the software that he didn't know because I, I tried to learn the software on my own uh, before the classes even started. So I, I would say really be self-motivated. You got it. You can't rely on your teachers. You can't rely on the school. Even if you go to a good school, you may not get the best teacher. So I would say find the best school, research what their placement rate is, what kind of companies do their students go to, Look at the student demo reels of the students who graduated. Compare them to other demo reels from other colleges. That's that's what one of the main things that I, how I picked Ringling. Also, look at the resumes of the teachers that are teaching the a animation class. I looked at one of the animators' classes that I was going to be in and found out that 
he wasn't really an animator. He did something like lighting or something like that. And I didn't want to be in that class. I wanted to be in a class who with someone who had experience in the industry animating. So do the research, really try to find out, because it's a big investment. That's a big controversy right now is, should you go to college or not? And for animation, you don't need a college degree to get in the field. But I can tell you, it sure helped me a lot going to that four-year school. But I've seen people go to that these online schools like Animation Mentor or iAnimate or um, Anim Squad is another one. These are pretty good online schools, but not all of them are good. Another thing I would strongly recommend is don't just Google what's the top animation school. <laughs> the worst ones come to the top of the list, and they'll say they're the best ones. I don't know how you filter through the false advertising. You cannot find what the best school is by just typing into Google, what's the best animation school? You will not find it that way. So you got to do the research, look at the schools, look at the demo reels, look at teacher credentials, look at the placement rate, and see if it's something that you're strongly passionate about. Uh, and then once you get into it, you really have to be the motivator. You can't rely on the school to make you good. There was a lot of competition at my school to be the best animator. And it was that competitiveness that made us all pretty good animators. So I think that's what you should try to find. Not someone who's just going to wave a magic wand at you and make you great. You got to put in the work and find the best education. Did you have any mentors or anyone that helped you out while you were kind of going through all this? I mean, I know you did a lot of research on your own, but once you were, you know, in school and even in the industry, did you have people that were looking out for you? No, but in my research, I had people that gave me, that pointed me in the right direction, that gave me good advice. So the guy I told you at the two-year school who got, um, who didn't know anything about animation, they, I think they fired him and or quit i don't know but i i think they let him go and they hired another guy that was much more knowledgeable and he was the one that told me that ringling was the top school in the country and he showed us demo reels from their school and he was the one that first suggested that school that's how i found out about ringling and he said hands down this is the best school now i don't know if that's the truth anymore i've heard about other schools or, or students that have come from other schools that are just as good if not better there's other top animation schools out there. Ringling is certainly one of the expensive ones, too. So you, ha you have to take that into consideration what your student loan debt is going to be like when you get out. But yeah, and then what I did is I flew to L.A. because I thought some of the top animation schools would be near the industry, like in L.A., Hollywood. And I went to CalArts, and I saw some of the students working on their work. I went into their computer labs and talked to them. Like, I interviewed them in person. And I looked at their work and I was not impressed. And then I went to um, USC and uh, they had an animation program there and their master's program. And I looked at their program and I talked to the head of the department of animation. And he said at the time, now this was a long time ago, but at the time he said there's, he didn't even recommend his own school. He recommended Ringling College of Art and Design. So, wow, this is not an endorsement for Ringling. It's it's a <laughs> school. I know I keep bringing it up because I don't know what other schools are like. I can only tell you about my experience. It's a very tough school. It's hard to get into, and you're not learning a ton of animation. Let's say more than some of these online schools. Some of the online schools, in my opinion, I think are even better because, like Animation Mentor, that's all you're learning. If you go to Ringling, you're going to be learning all kinds of other stuff too like lighting and modeling and a lot of, you don't even touch animation your first year. All you're doing is drawing classes, which I hated. I hated <laughs> drawing. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're going to kill yourself your first year. It's brutal that the, the art classes are very demanding. It's not, and they expect a certain level of skill. You don't just go in there and doodle for the first year. You have to be turning out some really good work. And if you don't, if you fail that first year, you're out. You're, out of the college program, you're, you're done. You, and there's also a failure, failure point in your third year. If you don't come up with a, a story for your senior thesis, you're also um, flunked out of that whole year. So it's a very tough program. It's not for everyone. But not to say that these online schools programs are any easier. It's, you really do have to put in a lot of work because it's so competitive. 
nobody holding my hand or, or helping me along the way, but I, I did get some good advice. What kept you motivated during that time? <laughs> fear of fear of failing. <laughs> yeah, because I had nothing else. I, I I tried the acting. I guess I could have tried to open up a karate school again, but I had no other skill. I had nowhere else. You know, it was in my thirties. You know, it, it was a fear of all right. What am I going to do for the rest of my life? I need to do something. So it was more. I knew I wanted to to be good at something. I, I just already had that drive. I, I don't know where that came from, but I had the drive that I wanted to get a skill and I wanted to be really good at that. I wanted to be the best at it, whatever it was. And I tried it with acting. I, I tried it even with martial arts, but, um, I also wanted a skill that pays. <laughs> so I, I can tell you that was another motivator is I heard so many stories about how well this industry pays and it can, but it also, for certain people may not pay the bills. So yeah. it just depends on where you go. And because the market's so flooded, it's, it's not necessarily a lucrative industry. So it just depends on where you're at. What do you want to accomplish for the rest of this year? I mean, we're, this interview is airing in July. So we're kind of halfway through 2017 now as it is. What do you want to accomplish for the rest of the year? Well, I'm, I'm going to be in Atlanta this July, actually, for a uh, Comic-Con well, it's actually a cosplay con that they're having in, in Atlanta in July, July 14th, okay, 14th through the 16th. So I'm doing that, finishing up on Guardians of the Galaxy game. I'd like to do more animation on my own. I also do some writing on my own. I'd like to do more of that. I've been writing for a long time, but nothing specifically. I'd like to do more Comic-Cons. I think those are fun. So these Comic-Cons have been kind of um, a resurgence because... Two years ago was our uh, 20th anniversary for VR Troopers, so I've been starting to get more interest in me appearing as a guest at Comic-Cons, and they're really fun, and it's kind of fun to see people who saw the show when they were kids and get to meet these fans now that they're adults, and they still remember the show, and they appreciate it, and so that's really fun. I'd like to do more of that, but in my own time, I, I would like to do some more animation and writing that's those are kind of my hobbies that I like to do on my own and and be more active because this industry there's a lot of sitting so yeah I try to stay fit and be as as active as I can be in my free time so you have your own kind of projects that you're you're working like a dream project you want to you want to do one day it's more that um all right another piece of advice and uh, more that most animators that are passionate about animation will continue to refine their skills on their own on their own time so it's it's more that i'm trying to always improve my demo reel is the demo reel is the most important thing into getting into animation so once you get your training and you go to college or however you get your training the demo reel is the most important thing it's it's it, you don't have to worry about experience or or resume or whatever but if you have a killer demo reel you pretty much it'll open a lot of doors for you you can pretty much get in and get into any company that's hiring so it's that's the thing that I'm I'm continually trying to work on is, and I love it at Telltale Games. But you know this industry is very unstable, and you never know what'll happen. So I, I always want to be prepared to move on and have a killer demo reel so that uh, I can get into any company that I want. Now this might be a hard question to answer, but where do you see yourself in the next five years? What do you want to be doing? Yeah. Five years ago, I didn't know what I was going <laughs> to do. You know, I, to be honest, I five years ago, I, I thought I wanted to just do animation for film. I didn't realize how fun gaming was. So I didn't want to do games in the beginning. But now that I'm doing it, I really like video games. So if you'd asked me five years ago, I didn't think I was going to do video games. And I'm having a blast. This is more fun than the film industry. I don't think I'd ever go back to film. I would continue working in games the company is continuing to grow and, and try to move into more platforms. I can't really talk about what they're trying to do specifically, but there's a lot of excitement about virtual reality and augmented reality. I hope the company goes in that direction. I hope somewhere in the far future that I end up in that technology and that's where all technology goes because I think it's exciting. I think it's so cool and kind of funny that it came full circle that I was a VR trooper, virtual reality. And now 
I may be working in virtual reality for real. <laughs> it's just kind of, <laughs> it is kind of hilarious. Wouldn't it be weird if you end up programming a VR Troopers yeah. game? There was a VR Troopers game. I remember it on oh, Sega. Oh, oh, that yeah, but that was so old. That was so long. Explained <laughs> 2D graphics. Yeah, I don't think I've told anybody this, but there was a company in San Francisco that was, I believe, working on a Power Ranger game. I'm pretty sure. I just glanced over it and I thought, hmm, I didn't seriously consider it, but I did have to take a moment to pause and go, huh, how cool would that be to work on a Power Ranger video game? I'm in the industry. I could go in there and throw that in the interview and I don't know, who knows, uh, you know, but yeah, it would be so cool to do a VR Trooper video game. That would be awesome. I would love that. <laughs> Well, just to you know, kind of wrap things up here, Michael, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Yeah, you can go to MikeHollander.com. That's my personal website. You can also find me on, I have a fan page on Facebook. And if you're in the industry or looking to get into in, in the industry, hit me up on LinkedIn. So also to clarify, I, I don't think I mentioned this, but uh, a lot of confusion about my name. Back when I was on VR Troopers, I went by Michael Bacon. Uh, since then, after the show, I changed my name to Michael Hollander. So that's the only thing people need to know. Gotcha. Well, Michael Hollander, thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, your story is, I had no idea going into the interview how much, I mean, you really had to come through a lot to get to where you are today. And I think it really speaks to your your drive and your tenacity and your perseverance to have gone through all of these different experiences from modeling to acting to, you know, all this educational experience to where you are now. I mean, it, it really feels like the work that you're doing is important because every experience that you've had has led you up to where you are now. So I hope when you you know, look back in the past and see kind of how things were. You see that, you know, all of this was for a reason that it, it sort of, you know, came out to be a good thing. But certainly I think it's inspiring for people that are listening because it lets you know that, you know, the path to get into this industry, there's no one set specific way. And that even if later on in life you course correct, that it is still possible for you to kind of have a place and a space and, and make a difference. So thank you again so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. I, I really had a blast. This is, I usually don't get to talk about this kind of stuff. So it, it gives me a new perspective <laughs> hearing, hearing myself speak about this. I, I didn't think about a lot of this stuff that I went through and uh, um, yeah, it was, it was a tough road, but uh, it was worth it. I, I really enjoyed what I'm doing now and thank you for doing what you're doing because I, I know you're reaching out to a lot of, people in the industry and it's inspiring to uh for for people wanting to get into design or animation or graphics and and uh so thank you for creating this channel of opportunity and inspiration for others i wish i'd heard something like this when i was going to school and having this kind of inspiration so thank you thoughts of love are and that's it for this week big thanks to Michael Hollander and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Michael and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Facebook designers work on creative products that are used by over 2 billion people. Their mission is to make the world more open and connected, and they use design to create prototypes, shape experiences, and ultimately solve problems as well. Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. Whether you need to sell your products, share some big news, or just tell a story, MailChimp makes it easy to create campaigns that best suit your message. You know your business. Let MailChimp help you grow it. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Every great idea deserves a great domain name, and Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domains. Hover offers free private domain registration, your choice of hundreds of domain extensions, and you can connect them to your favorite web service. Ready to get started? Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. 
Since 2004, SiteGround has been empowering web professionals and beginners alike to build better, faster, safer websites easily without having to worry about hosting. Visit SiteGround.com forward slash revision path to get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, please do me a huge favor. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a minute or two. It really helps the show out by bumping us up in the rankings for Design Podcasts. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us at yepitslunch.com for all your design, strategy, and creative consulting needs. And if you like the work that we're doing here at Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. Now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you can get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Push that.